This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, head of New England Operations for Ringler Associates. Today, we're coming to you from the 2008 AAJ Annual Convention, located right in the heart of beautiful downtown Philadelphia. You know, that's the city where the Continental Congress met in 1776 to sign the Declaration of Independence, and it's known for the home of the Liberty Bell, and of course, the Philly Cheesesteak, and of course, any fans of iconic boxing movie Rocky are practically obliged to take that run up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, just like Sylvester Stallone. And just like I did about two weeks ago, I felt a little silly. (laughs) But now I'm going to turn things over to my colleague, Bill Wakely. He's really a a local talent here. He's a settlement annuity specialist in the Philadelphia office. Bill, this must seem like old homework. It it does, Larry. Thanks for for that uh, pitch for Philadelphia cheesesteaks. And uh, I have not done the rocky steps because I, I am embarrassed to do that. So I'm glad you did it, though. Uh, hello, everyone, and, and welcome again to Ringler Radio. Uh, I'm Bill Wakeley, Structured Settlement Specialist uh, here with Ringler Associates in Philadelphia. Uh, in case you're a first-time listener, you should know that every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, www.ringlerassociates.com, or on the Legal Talk Network at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Uh, today on Ringler Radio, we're going to have um, uh, a two-part discussion on the life cycle of a case. This is our second uh, discussion of this. In our first segment, we talked about how attorneys choose their cases and all the factors that go into uh, the vetting of that process and, and how they come up with the selection or, or the non-selection of a case. In part two of this discussion today, we're going to talk about how a case proceeds uh, once it does get uh, selected by the firm. Our guest today is attorney Paul Brandis. Uh, Paul is a senior trial counsel and, and partner at the firm of Valari Brandis and Klein uh, in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania, right outside Philadelphia. Paul has dedicated his career to representing victims of catastrophic personal injury caused by motor vehicle collisions, trucking accidents, defective products, premises defect, and especially uh, medical malpractice. Paul is uh, also on the board of directors of the Philadelphia Trial Lawyers Association and a member of the Birth Trauma Litigation Group of the American Association for Justice. Welcome back to the show again, Paul Brandis. Thank you, sir. Um, Paul, we talked a little bit in our last show about the factors that that go into selecting a case. Uh, We talked a little bit at length about how somebody doesn't just walk into your office and say, hey, I have this case, I want you to file suit, and I want to proceed with litigation on this case. Um, Once you go through that process of, uh, as you said in our last show, about vetting a case and deciding all the parameters and all the the aspects of the case that are going to make it a worthwhile case, both for the firm uh, as well as for the client. What factors at that point when you say, okay, we're going to accept this case, what happens then? 
the first thing that we're going to do after we've internally evaluated all of the records and the facts and the circumstances that the client has provided to us, we're going to go out to an expert. If it's a medical malpractice case, a board-certified expert in the particular field. For example, if it's an orthopedic uh, malpractice allegation, we'll go to a board-certified orthopedist. If it's a uh, obstetrical or birth injury type of case, we'll go to a board-certified obstetrician or maternal fetal medicine specialist. Uh, if it's a product defect case, for example, in an automobile, we'll go to an expert engineer who has expertise in, the, in that specific area, whether it's the design of the allegedly defective part or the manufacture of that part. And we'll ask them the, the tough questions. Is, you know, was there negligence here? Was the product defective? Or whatever the issue is. And it, it's not uh, me or my partners that decide whether or not there's a meritorious case. It's those experts that decide whether there's a meritorious case. And if they come back to us, uh, these independent experts, and say, yeah, there's a meritorious case here, the next step is we have to find experts that can link that negligence to the cause of our client's injuries. Because in any type of personal injury case, you have to prove both the negligence and that the negligence caused harm. Uh, in the medical malpractice case, in the, in the premises defect case, the, if you don't prove those two things, you can't file a lawsuit. So we have to get independent experts to say yes to both of those questions before we can file a lawsuit. Uh, and that's particularly so in the area of professional malpractice. Many people don't recognize that uh, in order for me to get into court on behalf of a client in a medical malpractice or professional malpractice case in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, for example, we have to have affidavits of merit and certificates of merit executed by the board-certified physician in the medical malpractice case, this independent expert that we hire, to certify, yes, there is a reasonable probability that there's malpractice here. And if we don't have that certification or affidavit, we can't file the lawsuit. So when we go into court in those types of cases, uh, the, the public and the jury can be rest assured that this case has been independently reviewed by a board-certified or duly qualified expert who's given the go-ahead to say, yes, this is a meritorious claim. Uh, and that process can take, can take months. Uh, some of the issues in these cases are very complex. In medical malpractice cases, uh, some of the issues can go down literally to the cellular level. What is going in, on inside the human body at the cellu cellular level? And unless we prove it, we're not going to be able to win the case or prove the case for the client. So we expend quite a bit of time and money uh, searching out and finding these, these experts who are, who are specialists in their field to get them to comment on the case. Uh, once we get those opinions, if they're all positive, it's at that point that we uh, draft the complaint on behalf of the client, have the client come in, review the complaint, make sure it's all true and accurate as to the facts alleged in the complaint, and we file that complaint and the lawsuit gets started from there. So, so really, it's a two-part process, Paul. The, the first part process is really the, what we talked about on our first show where you know, the case comes into your office and, and you really don't know anything about it. You, know, you don't know anything about the, the people involved or the circumstances, and you have to go through your investigative process to get to the point where you make a conclusion that, yes, this is a meritorious case, we're going to proceed. Once you make that decision, then you have to go through the secondary process pre-filing of the lawsuit where you actually get into the nitty-gritty of the case and, and figure out the, the detail of the case as to whether you'll proceed from there. Exactly. That's exactly right. 
are, are there things that can derail that process along the way? You know, and I guess the the point I'm making is after you've accepted the case and you say this is a, a meritorious case in our opinion from our investigation, what can happen between that point and the point that you actually file suit that, that could derail that and change your mind? There are a few things in that regard. Uh, first and foremost, the client is mistaken in their recollection of the facts. Um, many times in especially catastrophic injury cases, the, the client, whether it's the person that's actually injured or their family member, they're overwhelmed with emotion. And they don't see things as clearly as an independent observer would see them. They don't have uh, uh, sufficient recall of certain conversations or they don't have accurate re- recollection of certain conversations, whether it was with the doctor uh, in the hospital or the police officer at the scene of the accident. And when we collect the documents from those sources, whether it's the doctor's office, the hospital, the police department, and suddenly we get a fuller picture of what actually happened, uh, then all of a sudden that could change our viewpoint uh, as to the merit of the case uh, for the better sometimes, make us think that it's actually a stronger case, or yes, indeed, for the worse, make us realize, wait a second, this is not going to be a meritorious action. So when that happens, when you get uh, the situation, the latter situation that you talked about where circumstances have changed, are there instances where you'll continue with the case anyway and have that discussion with the client that says, you know, this isn't the case that we thought it was, however? Sure. Uh, there, there are circumstances where we will get in medical records in a uh, medical malpractice case where the entries in the records are, are directly opposed to the information the client provided. And uh, certain times the client was just mistaken. Uh, other times uh, you have the client come in and you have a face-to-face and you look them in the eyes. And as the attorney, you have to make a judgment. Is my client telling me the truth? Uh, and, you know, I've been doing this long enough, upwards almost of 20 years, to know which clients really are doing their best to have an accurate recollection and which clients are sort of stretching it. Uh, and the clients that are stretching it, those are the clients that we say, look, you know, we're not going to be able to help you in this matter. Because the last thing you want to do uh, in any type of uh, uh, personal injury case is file one that really has suspect or, or no merit. Well, that's right. And, and, you know, I guess the thing that hits me with that, and, and again, we talked about this in our first show, you don't really, you know, I think the layman's out there don't really get into this process of what goes into picking a case. And, it, and it, you know, it sometimes doesn't occur to people that, you know, these, these folks come into an attorney and they may not give a, accurate information because of whatever motivations they may have. Um, and then you guys are on the hook. You know, at that point, you're on the hook. You're proceeding with potentially a lawsuit. Uh, and that's your reputation, the reputation of the firm. And at some point, you have to make sure that everything's accurate and, and in place to proceed with this. And, th- and that's why we do a very serious, in-depth interview with the client. Uh, that's why we don't hire experts until we actually get the records, whether they're medical records, whether they're uh, police reports uh, in highway design defect cases uh, where an accident has happened because of a defect in the highway design the, uh, the design plans for that highway, uh, and really look at the nitty-gritty uh, information in those documents to see how it matches up with the client's recollections, uh, the client's story. Uh, and, yeah, have there been cases where we found out very early on that a client just came in wanting to, you know, haphazardly or just off-the-cuff file a lawsuit and, and, and tried to sell us a bill of goods? Sure. And we're good at what we do, and that's why from the, from the early stages – 
We evaluate that client. Uh, we evaluate the documents very early on to make sure that they, they match up. Paul, when that happens, and assume everything is, is correct and documented and accurate and we move on with the case, do you guys try a lot of your cases, I mean, as a percentage of the amount of cases that you move forward? Uh, no. Uh, the reality is that uh, I, I have to give myself and my partners a pat on the back that we're good at what we do. We aggressively litigate all of these cases. We take every deposition that needs to be taken. We ask the tough questions of the defendants. We ask the tough questions of their experts. Uh, and what we're trying to do is to show the defense and their attorneys that they have significant risk on their side, uh, that it's better off to provide a fair settlement for the injured family or the in injured individual for then for them to take the risk and go to trial and have a jury really whack them with an even larger amount of money. Um, are there cases that we try? Absolutely. Uh, there are cases where the parties just have an honest, legitimate dispute, and maybe it's a coin flip call. Uh, maybe it's a 60-40 call, but one party or the other decides that this is a case that must be tried, and we'll go to court and we'll try that case aggressively for our client, and we've got a good record with it. Uh, let's take a take a, a short break here because uh, I think that's a topic that we need to, to flesh out a little bit more. But when we return, we'll continue our discussion on uh, proceeding with the case with Paul Brandis. Time to take a very short break now. But when we return, Bill and attorney Paul Brandis will continue this discussion on how to proceed with a case. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio. Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and we're going to hear more now from my colleague and co-host, Bill Wakeley, our settlement annuity specialist right here in the Philadelphia office, and again, attorney Paul Brandis, the equity partner and senior trial counsel at the firm Valari, Brandis, and Klein. Thanks, Larry, and welcome back to Ringler Radio. Uh, Paul, the discussion that we just had before the break is an interesting one. I guess you could kind of talk about it as, as a risk versus reward situation. And again, this isn't picking the case. This is 
getting down the road in the case. You know, you've you've been litigating the case. You've had experts. You've had discussions with the defense side or all the other co-defendants, everybody involved in the case. How do you go about these discussions with the client that says, you know, here's our risk. Our risk is we could go to trial and we could lose. Our risk is we could go to trial, we could win. And everything in between. It's got to be a very difficult decision, not only for your firm, but for the clients as well. Well, uh, the second that our firm files a lawsuit, we're 120% behind that case and we're aggressively litigating it because we're putting our name behind it. We're putting our reputations behind it. uh, And we believe in it. We believe in that client's claim. Uh, And we push that case uh, to the hilt. Uh, I've had many occasions where defense attorneys at the end of cases have told me, look, the next time you and I come across each other, would you not file so many motions against me? Uh, Would you not be so aggressive? And I said, well, you know, if you turn over the documents you're supposed to turn over, then we wouldn't have this problem. Um, But ultimately, that case is going to be called for trial. And that's where you really have to get down to brass tacks. The defense has to decide what they want to do with the case. And the plaintiff has to decide what we want to do with the case. It's an easy call if the defense is not offering any money. Then we're, we're trying that case, and we're, we're going the full nine yards into the end zone for our client. Uh, on the situation, though, where the uh, defense offers an amount of money in settlement that's within the range of reason, within a, range, a reasonable range for the value of that case, then we have a sit-down with our client, and we tell them the pros and the cons of their case, what the potential pitfalls are, uh, what the chances of losing outright are, what the chances of winning a verdict but getting an amount of money from that jury that's actually less than what's being offered in settlement, what the chances are of getting a verdict in their favor with, an, with a monetary verdict greater than what's being offered in settlement. And we go through all of that analysis with our client. But the one thing we never do is tell our client, you must accept this amount of money or you must reject this amount of money. Ultimately, it's the client's decision as to what they feel is fair and reasonable. And what my partners and I will typically advise a client in, in how to make that decision is we'll tell them, look, if you accept this offer of money, what, let's say it's a $2 million, um, and you reduce out my fee and costs, is that net amount to you and your family going to make a significant difference in your life? and into the future? Is it going to provide you with the financial protection that you need for yourself or your loved ones down into the future? And if the answer is yes, that it is going to make a significant difference in their lives, then we tell them, well, now you know whether or not that amount of a settlement offer is reasonable. If, on the other hand, you say that, you know, I've spoken with my husband or I've spoken with my wife or I've spoken with my kids and we don't feel that that's enough to make a significant difference for what we're going to need down the road to, to care for the loved one or for me to care for myself, then the answer is simple. Reject the offer and go to trial. That's right. And, and I guess part and parcel of that whole process, Paul, um, you and Peter and Teresa and, and all the folks at your firm, you have to really value the relationship that you have with your clients to be able to have those discussions. I mean, they are critical life-changing decisions that have to be made. So can you tell us a little bit about the relationship that you must have in order to do that with your clients? You have to have a close relationship with your client. Your client is typically getting involved in a process that they've never been involved in before, and God willing, they'll never have to be involved in again. 
Uh, I always tell my clients there, there's only two reasons why you should ever hire a lawyer. It's either because somebody did something bad to you or you did something bad to somebody else. And other than that, you know, there's no other reason to hire a lawyer. Um, and in a situation where a family has been devastated by a catastrophic injury to a loved one or an individual has been injured in an accident and needs uh, their rights protected and prosecuted in their favor, uh, you have to have a very close relationship with the client because they're nervous, they're anxious, they're involved, they're, they're thrown into a process that they're, that's totally foreign to them. So they need to trust that their attorney is going to give them the information that they can use to make informed decisions for themselves during the life of that lawsuit. And the only way you can develop that trust is by answering the phone when it rings. When the client has a question, I always tell them there's no silly questions. There's no stupid questions. If you have a question, that's what you hired me for is to help get you the answers. Uh, and if I can't give you the answer, you can rest assured I'm going to point you in the direction of somebody that can. Uh, and when you develop that type of close relationship with your client, it's not that the client is going to defer to your decision making as a lawyer or your advice as a lawyer, but they're going to feel comfortable or more comfortable knowing that they have a resource, their attorney, that's providing them with information that when you get right down to it is as good information as you're going to get. And that's information that they can rely on and trust in and making decisions for themselves and their family. Exactly. Paul, to kind of maybe wrap this discussion up and, and I guess kind of go full circle, in our first show we talked about how we picked the case and, and, and the process of what happens when you get that first phone call. And then now we've talked about after you decide to accept the case and you move on towards trial, can you kind of give us just a, a, a brief example of a case that you've had recently or, or whenever without getting into all the details of it, as to how that case proceeded and how the decisions were made and what the resolution was? Well, um, my, my partners and I uh, prepare for trial in at least 10 or 12 cases a year um, because they're getting to that time where they're going to be called for trial. Uh, and the, the process is one that's uh, quite involved. We tear apart the file. Uh, we get it reorganized. Uh, we do a last-minute uh, medical research to make sure we've dotted our I's and crossed our T's. Uh, and in especially the, the product defect uh, liability cases and the uh, medical malpractice cases, we have meetings with our experts to go over last-minute issues. Uh, we will have meetings with our clients and their family members to prepare them for trial on you know, what's expected of them through their testimony. Uh, what's expected of their family members. And we sometimes will take our clients down to the courthouse to get them familiar with the, with the courtroom so that it's not as foreign to them as one might otherwise expect it to be. Uh, and we get them, you know, we sort of get their feet in the water, so to speak, to get them a little bit more comfortable with the process. Uh, and in terms of our trial preparation, we're, we're preparing months in advance for cases. Uh, and we use state-of-the-art technology. All of our documents are, are electronically uh, scanned into our computer systems and are presented to the jury on a on big screen so that everybody can see them. Uh, and uh, we use state-of-the-art technology in the courtroom to present our clients' evidence, whether it's uh, medical illustrations, uh, photographs of the accident scene, uh, uh, the medical records themselves, uh, expert reports and things of that nature. 
Uh, and that's all work behind the scenes that most people don't see that's going on for months before you get to get to trial. Uh, and once you're in that courtroom, uh, you know, it's, you're, you're putting your best foot forward every day. And we tell our clients that, you know, you've, you've got to make the jury's watching you and you have to make a nice presentation. Even if you're not on the witness stand, they're watching you and you've got to be sitting in your seat looking professional and dressed appropriately, uh, not making faces. You know, because some people, they're, they're inclined when they hear the other side testify on the stand, they disagree with it. You know, they harumph or they make a face and, you know, juries don't want to see that. That's not fair. And we have to tell clients, you know, you have to resist sometimes that natural human response when you hear somebody testify that you don't agree with. Uh, and we help educate the clients to that to that process. And we have uh, them come to our office to to we'll, we'll cross examine them so that they, they can get a feel for what it's going to be like to be cross-examined by a good defense attorney. Uh, and ultimately, when you're, when you're in that courtroom trying that case, whether it's a two-day trial or a two-month trial, and some of them can last that long in the very complex matters, uh, you know, it's, it's an arduous process. It's like running a marathon. Uh, you know, the attorneys, uh, I will go home after a day in court, and I'm up until 2 o'clock in the morning preparing for the next day's testimony. Uh, we're meeting with our experts overnight to make sure that they have uh, the final information and uh, we can go over how best to present their testimony and what exhibits to use in their testimony. And when the weekends come up, we're not going down to the shore. We're in the office preparing for Monday's testimony. Uh, and until that verdict comes in, uh, we're running that marathon for our client. You know, I think that's uh, that's a good point. I know you and I spoke at the break about um, sometimes the, the, the perception that's out there, you know, you see these shows on TV where the first 10 minutes of the show is something happens. And the next 10 minutes is they walk into the lawyer's office. And at the end of the show, they're, they're in court and everybody's yelling and, and there's a, a, a verdict and, and everybody goes away. And I think this has been a great education as to, it's not that simple. Uh, number one, and number two, it's a business. Uh, and number two, you know, number three, when you go through this process, it is a long, arduous process, and there are a million details, and there's a million things to do. So um, I really appreciate the time you've taken uh, to, to inform our listeners and, and educate them on, on this process that sometimes isn't talked about. My pleasure. Um, Paul, if, if folks want to get in touch with you or your firm, how, how would they go about that? Well, we're located in Conshohocken, uh, Pennsylvania. We also have offices in uh, South Jersey. In Conshohocken, that's just outside Philadelphia. They can reach me by phone, toll-free, 888-729-2901, or locally, 610-729-2900. Our website is www.vollarilaw, that's V-I-L-L-A-R-I-L-A-W.com. Or they can email me, pbrandes, B-R-A-N-D-E-S, at valarilaw.com. Great. Um, I can be reached at Ringler Philadelphia at 1-800-869-9450 or via email at bwakeley, B-W-A-K-E-L-E-E, at ringlerassociates.com. Thanks for listening, and go out and have a great day. Thanks, Bill. Great topic today. And another special thanks to attorney Paul Brandis, for joining us here on Ringler Radio at the 2008 AAJ Convention in Philadelphia. This was a two-part series with Attorney Brandis, and I want to thank him again for uh, all the special time he gave us. Again, this is Larry Cohen, your host. Thanks for listening. Now go out and make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates' experience counts. Since 1975, 
Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.